You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. Well, we're so glad you're here. Marquis is coming to speak. And let me tell you something about Marquis. We've known Marquis for a very long time. It's been probably a decade. And we watched her come to get to know the Lord, which has been really exciting. So everything she's going to share here, I want to tell you that I've seen her live it. I've seen her seek after God with all her heart. And I've seen what God has done in her life. She's at like her eighth job promotion. I don't even know what the title is anymore. But like just God, even at the workplace, as she sought after God, as she ran after God, God has been faithful to promote her and to get her into the places that he wants her. Right? And so when you get to experience it, when you get to see somebody seek God and watch God work in their life, it's beautiful. It's inspiring. And so it's the same things he has done in Marquis' life he wants to do in our lives. And I just want to welcome her to here. Thank her for coming. Um, but love you guys. Uh, open up your hearts and just let God speak to you because I know he will. Okay? And I'll come back to close and dismiss you guys later. Bye. Can we give it up for Alini? Well, connect community. I'm fired up. So quick disclaimer before we jump into everything God has for us. I'm a former cheerleader. So if you see motions and quick jumps, it's genuinely just the only way that the energy that God put in me can come out. But I... I feel so honored and so humbled to get to spend time with you guys this morning. Connect community is just that. It is a community of people who are connected to the heart of God and connected to each other. Amen. We can clap. If one of us is going to clap, let's all clap. Let's stir ourselves up. Worship was so good. I love just really basking in his presence and thanking him for everything as we come to his throne room this morning. And I'm so fired up. But before we get into the message and everything that God has for us today, I want to start by giving honor where honor is due. And your pastors, J.D. and Alini, are incredible people. They are an, an incredible unit, an incredible example of what healthy marriage looks like. And as individuals, they are powerhouses. But genuinely, if this is your first time with us, we're so pumped that you are here. Know that you're in now. You're in the family. All it takes is one time, and we count you as a part of us. But they've been envisioning and dreaming this house for years. It was back in Houston that God snatched me out of my wilderness, and he used Alini to just bring truth in the way that she can. If she's ever spoken into your life, I know you know what I'm talking about, that Alini look where she's like, you'll tell me when you're ready. And then you just break down. <laughs> what do you mean? I said I was fine. <laughs> it's incredible. It is an anointing and a special thing over your pastor. And JD has this incredible way of being in the weirdest, funniest place. And then all of a sudden he drops this theology bomb on you. And you're like, what? Like, how do I even go from there to there? And then he's back again. They are incredible people and who they are on the stage, the way that they love through their words is the way that they love with their lives. So you are a product of that. And it's so incredible to see this house grow, to watch each of you step into what God has for you in this city and in this region. So if you can't tell, I'm crazy fired up. Been praying, been thinking about you guys and knowing that God's gonna meet us here this morning, amen. Amen, and the worship was so good. Um, I, yeah, I am crazy excited. So I flew in from Austin, Texas. Thank you, the great state of Texas. We are incredibly proud of everything. 
big food, big everything, big state. We like our steaks, 32 ounces, nothing smaller and rare. So we are intense. But I do want to make sure as New Englanders, I have a little bit of credibility with you guys because you're thinking, oh, she's going to drop the y'alls. And it's just great. And bless your heart. For the last five years, I know. There are stereotypes out there, and I'm fully able to own them. But I do want to let you guys know that for the last five years, I had the privilege of living in New England, up in Massachusetts, and I want to honor and love on two of my best friends who came, Adriana and Rachel in the front. They drove all the way down from Massachusetts to be with us. I share that to say, I see you in the grind of New England, and I am honored to get to be here to spur you on this morning. Being Christian in New England is not popular. It is countercultural definitely not sexy. It's not the thing you want to do if you want to have a big friend circle. Because the pace of life here is so intense that people don't think they have room for God. And a lot of times we think we've got it figured out. So New England is a unique place in the U.S., but it's a unique place in the world. I want to encourage you this morning that your choice to be here, to honor God with your Sunday, to plug into his community is a choice that he sees and he loves and it does his heart good. And when God's happy, we can't lose, right? Amen? Amen. Okay, so let's pray in and then I wanna jump into what God has. Is that, is that okay? Okay, great. So Lord God, we just thank you. We thank you for what you've already done in this service. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence in this room, that you are quieting the distractions, that you are opening our hearts Lord, I pray for the one right now who feels like they need you the least and the one, Lord God, who knows they need you the most. And I thank you that you are faithful to meet us in that spectrum where we fall. And you have a timely word for us this morning, so may our hearts be open and our minds receptive to what you have, God. I pray, Lord, that every word spoken is of you, straight from your heart to ours, and anything that is not of you, God, I pray it falls on deaf ears. So I thank you, Lord, that your presence is here. I thank you that with you, we can't lose. And so we say yes and amen to your plans, Holy Spirit. And we give you all the glory, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay, so like I mentioned, I'm here to fire you guys up this morning and to spur you on in your pursuit of God. And praying and preparing and thinking about what God's doing in this community, he wants to stir you up this morning. We're all called to pursue right? You see the coffee mugs and the t-shirts that are wake up and grind, hustle hard, pray harder. There's something in our culture and just in the way that we're built as humans that says move forward, go forth and conquer. It's how God created us actually. So it's funny because you may be in this room pursuing a career, which is a healthy, awesome thing. You might be pursuing financial stability, a vision that you have for your family. You may be single and you're pursuing that man or that woman that you envision being your spouse. Wherever you're at in your pursuit of God, I want to encourage you. It's a God thing. It's a, it's a part of our DNA as a people group. So that desire to win, that desire to run hard is of God. And I love how practical the word of God is. In the book of Hebrews, Paul actually gives us a really good picture of what it's like to walk this out with God. He talks about the analogy of a runner, and he says that we're all called to run a race. And not just run a race, but run the race that God has ordained over each of us. It's a race of endurance. It's a race that we thrive in, like Alini was praying and speaking over us earlier. 
And it's a race that we intentionally plug into. There are times in life when we can kind of be going with emotions, but just like we pursue career, we pursue relationship, we're designed by God to pursue God. And it's an awesome thing. And before we jump into the passage and really the story that God's gonna unpack, the question for us this morning is, where are we at in this pursuit of God? Where are you at? Because the reality is we all have different paces. Some of us may be running 110%. There's nothing more beautiful. Have any of you watched the marathon? Have you ever watched marathon runners? You've seen like the Kenyans run across the finishing line in Boston year after year after year. It's a beautiful thing because they're running in the design that they're built for. They're running on purpose. They're locked in. They're focused. And just like those runners are focused, we're called to be focused in God. And that passage in Hebrews, he's saying, run the race that you're called to with your eyes fixed on Jesus. So he gives us a model. But before we can chase after God, we have to be real with him. We have to be raw with where we are in this pursuit of God. And that's really a question I felt the Holy Spirit say, like, let's wrestle with this for a second. So some of us are running full speed, 110%. Others of us, oh, this is not going to work. It's my fat Bible, you guys. Did y'all see this bling? This is straight from the state of Texas. <laughs> My old pastor in Massachusetts was always like, oh, that is really intense. You know it's intense when people in Texas are even like, oh, curious. A lot of bling. Um, okay, not about the Bible. Hopefully this stays. So some are running at full speed. Some are running. You may be running, but you find yourself weighted down. And interestingly enough, in Hebrews, they talk about this. It's an encouragement to runners to lay down the weights and the sins that so easily ensnare us. And it sounds easy in concept, but it's actually a lot harder to do as we find in this journey. Some of us may be at this pace that I affectionately call wogging. Is anyone familiar with wogging? Some of you are laughing because it's the pace that I run at in real life outside. Walk jogging. It's this healthy pace of I'm going, I'm going, my feet are shuffling. It might take me 12 minutes to finish the mile, but I'm gonna finish. And that may be where you're at with God this morning. And then some of you might be at a standstill. Like, I'm actually not running at all. And I'm here this morning, God, because I know you say I have to be or because my friend drugged me, but I'm here for now and then I'll see you again next week, maybe. What I love so much about our God is that he knows. He knows the exact pace that we're running in. He knows the seasons in our life when we're all in, when we're 110%, when we're fired up. And he knows when we're at a standstill. And we're like, I know you say pursue, but my heart's not in it. Can I encourage you this morning that for your heart to be plugged into this race, it actually comes from God first? The pressure's off. Where you are in this moment, this gut check of your pace is really just so that we can have a starting place. We can have a beginning point so that we can acknowledge where we are and start to step into where God wants to take us. Amen? Amen. So those are the paces, and there's a lot of different benchmarks and spectrums along running. Like I said a minute ago, we're designed to run. We are designed to pursue God, and it's not just a casual thing. It's a conscious decision, and the pace that we're designed for, that that he's chosen for us to follow him with, is relentless. This is such a good word, church. Relentless. There is nothing weak 
or slow about the word relentless. Relentless says, I am unapologetic. I am not compromising. I am not slowing down. I am running hard because it's something that my heart desires. And like I said, the pressure's off. It's actually, it's not on us only to choose to pursue God. That comes from having encounters with him. And just like Paul says to the runners, lay aside every weight. This morning, God wants to help us lay aside some weights. This morning, God is gonna shift our perspective of who he is. He's gonna reveal a side of himself that I promise you, you haven't met yet. And this revelation of his love is what actually will compel us to run towards the things of God. So just like runners would never sign up for a race, I want you guys to imagine this. A runner shows up to run the New York Marathon. And let's say, I don't know what, does anybody know what time of year the New York Marathon's in? November, ooh, that's cold here. That analogy's not gonna work. Let's say you're, you're running a marathon in Houston. So it is wicked hot, you guys, like 110 degrees, 100% humid. You show up to run a race, which we don't do marathons in Houston for that reason, in the summer. But for the purpose of the analogy, a runner shows up for the Houston Marathon and they are decked out in snow gear. Layers, y'all know those layers those familiar layers you pull out November, getting ready for the first snow. Snow boots, they've got a backpack on. They don't know what kind of food they'll need. They have bags in each hand and they're dragging a suitcase. Do you think they'd get very far? It almost sounds silly, right? You would never show up to run a marathon in 100 degree heat wearing snow gear. But friends, can I tell you, for some of us, this is the way we're approaching our pursuit of God. We have on layers, and some of those layers are layers that weren't ever yours to put on. Some of those layers are things that happened in life, events, circumstances outside of your control, and other layers are layers that we willingly put on, that relationship or um, that mindset or that TV show we're obsessed with, these things that keep us from running full speed. But this morning, God's going to break that off of us, amen, because we're designed to run, and to run hard after the things of God. And like I mentioned, take heart, family, because the love and that desire to run comes from him and him alone. And Jesus actually gives us an amazing framework to look at our pursuit and our run of God. Do we have it up here, maybe in a second? Maybe, maybe not. It's Mark chapter 12, verse 30. There we go. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. It's the whole of our being, Jesus says, love God with all of yourself. And when we do this, when we plug into this, this is when we're set free to run. This is whenever we can chase God with everything because we genuinely love him. And the encouragement here is that that love comes from discovering his love first. And that's why I say pressure's off because if you don't know the love of God, you can't change enough things in your life or make enough tweaks to your routine to fix yourself. Friends, I couldn't, we cannot. It only comes from his love. His love is what sets us free. Amen, it's something to take heart in, but this is called the greatest commandment for a reason. It's no small task to submit all of yourself to God and to God's love. So as we are on this pursuit of him today, I want to encourage you to take notes. As we unpack this story here in a second, write down what God's downloading into your heart. 
Sometimes he says the subtlest of things and it doesn't end up hitting us until we go home and we read it. Not because anything I say is gonna be fancy. Pressure's off of me. It's not about that. It's about God and it's about what he wants to download for each of you in your race. Only you know your pacing. Your pacing is not your spouse. It's not your friend. It's not the pace your parents ran at. It's your pacing. Amen. 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 So the title of today's message is Seen and Known. We're going to unpack the power of what revelation of God's love does for our perspective because his love changes everything. But we have to encounter it first. Um, His love can and will change, change all of it. There's a Rick Warren quote that I love. Um, Any Rick Warren fans in the house? He's awesome. Such an awesome man. He says, the way you think determines the way you feel. And the way you feel determines the way you act. If you want to change the way you act, you must determine the way you think. You can start with action. You can't start with action. You've got to start with the thought. So today, if we look at those four ways that we love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, we're going to unpack loving him with our mind. We're going to press in for what God has to shift our perspective because it's in that revelation of his love that you can view that workplace situation differently, that you can view that career pursuit differently and take heart and find his peace because he's the one that promotes and he's the one that appoints the time. Amen? So we're going to talk about loving him with all of our mind. And one passage of scripture to give us a framework for our mind, it's Romans 12 too. Some of you, this may be familiar. It's an oldie but a goodie. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the renewal of your mind, that testing, testing so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing will of God. My translation is a little different than the one on your screen, but it's the same heart. What is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Who doesn't want that? You're here this morning on a Sunday forsaking all other Sunday morning activities, of which there are many, mimosa parties, golf, beach, because you want something. You pursue what you want, um, and he's here to deliver. Amen, I love that. So really, a new mind is a new understanding. One of my favorite stories in scripture, this is where we're gonna park for our time together, is on the story of a slave. This is found in the book of Genesis, and what God does through this slave is remarkable, church. And when I tell you who the slave is, you're not gonna believe the depth of revelation that's there. So if you've heard this story, I wanna encourage you, don't judge it by how you've heard it because there's a lot more that meets the eye. But before we can get into the story of this slave, this lowest of the low who God uses to call out of obscurity and show a part of himself, that made the history books. We have to have the backstory to the story, a little bit of context. Especially, this is in the book of Genesis, so this is way back, way, way back. Genesis 16. But in the book of Genesis, God calls a man named Abram. Some of you, have you heard of Abraham? This always used to confuse me. Why, God? Why change his name? Why not just start with it? But God's sovereign, right? So Abram, At this point in the story, his name is Abram, and he's married to a woman, Sarai. And God speaks an incredible promise over his life. God calls him out of all the peoples on the earth, and he makes a promise with him, a covenant. He says to Abram, through you, I will bless all the peoples of the earth. 
And he gives him this amazing encounter. And he says, look up at the stars, Abram. Count how many are there. And that is how numerous your offspring will be. An incredible promise, right? An incredible promise given by an incredible God. And he says, through Abram, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. So you might be thinking, if you haven't heard the story, Abram and Sarai, they must be like strapping young adults in their 20s. I mean, if they're gonna produce an offspring that's gonna bless all the peoples of the earth, let's go. Like how many kids did he have? No, Abram was in his 80s when God made this promise and Sarai was 10 years younger, well along in their journey, seasoned individuals, not so much at prime childbearing age. And a quick aside, if you find yourself in this house this morning, further along in your journey, seasoned in life, not a strapping young 20-something, know that God has purpose for you. Know that age does not discount you, so do not limit what God wants to do because of the number of years you've been walking this planet. God birthed a promise through Abram that blessed the entire world. Jesus came from this lineage, and he chose to do it with people in their 80s. So I don't know how old you are, but know that your age does not discount you. Amen? And the house of God needs you. And you are seen and you are known and you are valued. As I was reading that, I was like, wow, God, you do so much, so much. We, we never would have thought to make it that. Okay, so back to the story of Abram and Sarai. So God gives them this amazing promise. And then they're waiting. They're waiting. They're waiting year after year after year. Nothing, no child. And they're not getting any younger. And so Sarai ends up taking matters into her own hands. She's like, I got a plan, Abram. This is good. I've got a plan. You are going to have a baby, and it's not going to be through me. So a quick piece of cultural context. In that time, people owned slaves. And for a woman, a wife who had a female slave, she could give her slave to her husband as a second wife to bear a child on her behalf. And then that child would become the heir. So that was Sarah's bright idea. Not so bright. Especially because God had already promised she would be the one to walk out that promise of his. But so typical human. We do it on our own. We're like, God, I got you. Cool idea. Not working. Here's my idea. So she gives Hagar, her slave, to Abram. And Hagar ends up becoming pregnant. And in the midst of that, Hagar ends up becoming prideful, the Bible says, because she's bearing life that Sarah couldn't bear. And Sarah becomes jealous because she's like, you're my slave. Who are you to look down on me? So there's this old school soap opera. Nothing's new under the sun. These two women were going at it to such an extent that it actually caused Hagar to run away from home. That's how badly Sarah was mistreating her. And I've never been pregnant um, but I've known a lot of people who have been, your pastor being one of them. And pregnancy does not look comfortable. Like the opposite. Your body is expanding. Your feet swell. You sweat all the time. You're nauseous in the beginning, maybe the whole way through. Or you get these crazy insatiable cravings for the most random food groups. And we got to give you credit. You're eating for two. I mean, you're birthing something. That's actually the side of pregnancy I'm really excited for. Um, but I stand corrected always because it's like, oh, the baby's the size of a grape. <laughs> You're eating for a grape, but that's not the point of the story. Hagar is pregnant, right? 
She's pregnant. And for the women in this house, you know what that is if you've, if you've carried life. Could you imagine the intensity of the home to cause her to run away? She's pregnant. She's bearing life. That is no easy task. And from everything we understand in scripture, this is her first baby. So it's an unknown. I can't fill in all the lines for Hagar, but I can imagine how she must have felt. Unloved, unwanted, unseen. Think about it. Sarai, her master, is mistreating her so poorly. And where is Abram, the man that she conceived life with? He's nowhere to be found. When he does speak, he says, Sarai, do with her what you want. She's your slave. I can't begin to imagine the brokenness that must have driven her to run. And running is where we find her in verse 7. And that's where our passage is going to pick up. So the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. It's a spring on the way to Shur. And let me just grab it here. Okay, I've got it. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? So funny. He's an angel of the Lord. He clearly knows where she's come from and probably knows better than her where she's going. But I love that he asks anyways. She said, I'm fleeing my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Sound familiar? Didn't he make a similar promise? And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant. Captain Obvious. Not so obvious is what he says next. You shall bear a son, and you will call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your cry of affliction. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. This morning, this is the God that we're pursuing. This is the God that we are running after. And as the story continues, she goes back to be with Abram and Sarai after this encounter with God. And she ends up birthing Ishmael and Abraham names him Ishmael because the Lord heard her cry of affliction. What's so remarkable about this story, it's not necessarily Hagar. And don't get me wrong, who she is, a slave, an Egyptian, so she was a foreigner, a woman, literally the lowest of the low in society. It didn't get any lower. Probably dirt was better than Hagar culturally. The fact that God would choose her to reveal himself is incredible. And what's remarkable is this incredible buildup because now we know her story but it's his heart. His heart is what's remarkable in this passage of scripture. It's what he chooses to reveal about himself through the lowest of the low. In this passage, the Hebrew here, the name of God. So one thing to know when you're reading through the Bible, the Old Testament is all translated from Hebrew and the New Testament is Greek. What we miss in our English translation 
is the depth and the diversity and the beauty and the names of God. At this point in scripture in Genesis, if you read through with the Hebrew, there are a lot of names used for God. On our translation, it just says Lord God. But in the Hebrew, it's names like Elohim, which is the name of God when he created the whole universe. It's names like Yahweh, which we don't even really have a proper translation for because it's such a holy name for the Lord. It's names like El Elyon, which is God the Most High. Big, powerful, mighty names for a big, powerful, mighty God. And that is the God of the universe who had revealed himself up until this point when we see him meeting with Hagar. But the God who meets Hagar in the wilderness is El Roy. This is the one and only time this name is seen in scripture. And his name in this passage is the God who sees. He chose this woman, this outcast, to reveal his intimate side because all the other names for himself up until this point were big, grand names because he is a big, grand God. But how like our God is it to choose the outcast, to come down and say, oh, but I'm so much more than this humanity. I'm so much more than the one who separated light from darkness, who breathed breath into creation, who with a single word changed the entirety of the earth and made it what it is. He says in this story, I am the God who sees. Intimate. Beautiful. He chose her. The one no one would have thought could have been. And that's who he chose. And not just that, just as good, the angel of the Lord in this passage, this is the first time we see the angel of the Lord in scripture. In scripture. Historians and theologians believe that because of the intimate way Hagar encountered this angel, it's actually the first appearance of the pre-incarnate Jesus. Come on, church. Jesus, the first time he shows up, he chooses her? How prophetic. How incredible. Of course he would. We know Jesus. At least we've heard stories of him growing up. You may be here this morning and you're like, oh, I don't really know Jesus. That's okay. Because his love is going to penetrate our hearts so powerfully that we can't help but run. This angel of the Lord is Jesus. And just like he said this to Hagar, just like he came down into that moment to reveal himself as the one who sees, so he's come down this morning to say to us here at Connect Community, I am the God who sees. And the title for today is Seen and, does anybody remember? Known. Because the way God sees is not a visual exercise. Yes, obviously. He's omnipresent. He sees everything. Nothing is hidden in the presence of God. But the way that God sees is not like a, I see you, looking down on you. You know? The thing that doesn't make us feel good when we're doing the things we shouldn't be doing. Ugh. Don't see this part, hiding this. No, no, he sees that too. But the way that he sees goes past the natural and he sees into our soul. And that's why it's seen and known because the way God looks down, it's like he's looking into our souls. And when you know him as the God who sees, 
When you know his love, there's nowhere else you would rather be than seen by the creator of the universe and the God who knows your past, your present, and your future. And that's exactly who he is for Hagar in this passage. He meets her in the wilderness. And he's here this morning to meet some of you in the wilderness. It's funny. God's so intentional and so good. It's oftentimes at our lowest point in that wilderness that we think we won't escape that he meets us. This is where I encountered him. I was 20 years old, living the life. I was a college cheerleader, going to all the big parties, sleeping with a football player, everything that we glorify in our TV and our movies. But what TV and movies won't show you is real life. Because when the party was over, when I'd recovered from the hangover from the night before and the man who was in my bed wasn't in my bed anymore, there was a brokenness in my heart and in my soul, a feeling of unworthiness. He left, so God, why would you wanna be here? This is what the world and my friends are telling me is cool. This is what we celebrate. Why do I feel like something is missing? And it was after years of this that I encountered him and I remember it like it was yesterday. I was crying in the stairwell of my apartment complex, a hot mess, because the man I was with, I knew I wouldn't be married to. And I was choosing to give him all of myself and getting nothing in return because it wasn't of God. And I was crying in the stairwell so broken, feeling so unloved and then having to put on a face, right? I know y'all don't know about that. But showing up for class, going to work, cheering at games, making it seem like I had life figured out. But I was so broken and I was crying in the stairwell and I felt this, this feeling in my gut. And some of you may have felt this, this feeling that there's so much more. I was crying my eyes out, but I'm like, God, it's funny, like we can forsake him, but in those moments of wilderness and brokenness, he is the only thing that our being cries out to. And in that moment, in that stairwell, I said, God, there has to be more. There has to be more. And then a few months later, I meet Alini. And Alini is that person of Jesus, my angel of the Lord who met me in my wilderness and met me in my brokenness and met me in my dysfunction and always responded with, he loves you. He knows, okay, he loves you. And that's the God who's meeting us in our wilderness. You may not be at the pit. I don't know where you are. Only God knows that. But know that he's with you, just like he was with Hagar, just like he was with me. He sees that relationship you're in, that job you're in that's not fulfilling, and he says, I see you. And I love how he asks, where are you going? I laughed about this earlier because it's like, obviously, you know, especially when we envision him as pre-incarnate Jesus. Can we be encouraged this morning that there's nothing in your past? There's nothing in your story that he's ashamed of? There's nothing that you have done or are doing that he doesn't want to expose, to heal. 
He asks Hagar this, I think for herself, just like he's asking this to us this morning. Where are you coming from? What is that weight that is slowing you down from running? What is that thing that is keeping you separate from the love that you know your soul longs for? So take heart. There's nothing you've done, nothing you've been a part of that the God of the universe can't take and he can't redeem. He knew Hagar's past. He knew the mess of a situation that she was in. It wasn't even her fault. And yet he took that mess and revealed a part of himself that he only revealed this once in history. So he knows our past and he knows our present. Does the angel of the Lord refer to her as slave? How does he call her? By her name. I was unpacking this and reading this passage over and over and over again. And the Holy Spirit showed me that every time Abram and Sarai spoke about Hagar, they never used her name. She was always my slave. He knows your name. He knows your name and he knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. And when we catch a revelation of that kind of love, that kind of love that strips all the identity, all the labels, all the things that people and life put on us and we get to the heart of our name, that's who he wants to call out this morning. He's in your present. And what's incredible is he knows what's in you. He knew the son to come before she knew. He knew that who she would birth would have descendants that would be numbered like the stars. This slave, this foreigner, this woman who never should have had a portion according to society. This woman who was broken, pregnant by a man, not really her husband, running from life, running from mistreatment. And he says, I know your name. This may have been the first time she heard her name in decades. And that's the way the angel of the Lord came to her and that's the way Jesus comes to us this morning. He says, I know your name and I also know what's in you because I'm the God who sees. I am Elroy, the one who knows your innermost being. So he knew her past and he knew her present. Do you think he stopped there? No, friends. He knew her future and he spoke life into her. He said, Hagar, you have to go back. Not because he was being harsh, but she's in the middle, middle of a wilderness, y'all. This is pre-Uber, pre-cell phone, pre-community. There was no one around to provide for her basic needs, let alone the needs of her unborn child. So that circumstance you're in, that job that you don't like, know that God has purpose in all of it. And he sends her back and he says, you have to go back because you have to birth this son so that you can show the world the God you met in this wilderness. And he's the God who heard your cry of affliction. And oh, by the way, when you give birth to this life, this life is gonna outnumber the stars, be too innumerable to count. There was a portion and a legacy for Hagar, a slave, an Egyptian, a woman. She had a legacy and just like she did, so do we. I don't know what you're settling for, friend. 
I don't know what you've convinced yourself is your portion or what you think God has for you in store in the future. But can I say, if he's anything like this God, it is so much more than you could begin to ask or imagine. And later on in Hagar's story, God is faithful. Ishmael is born, he finds a wife, and their descendants are innumerable because God chose to meet her in the wilderness. And just like he chose to meet her there, he's meeting us here this morning. He's saying, I see you. I know how hard you've been working. I know how hard you've been striving. I know how desperately you want to get out of that relationship or how deeply you want to lay aside that weight. I know the cries of your heart to feel known and seen and loved. And I am El Roy. I am the God who sees. And I know you, my sons and my daughters. And what I have for you outnumbers even your biggest dream. But to get to this place of, of stepping into it, to, to become courageous and bold enough to go back like Hagar, we have to have a shift in our perspective. I think the thing that gave her the courage to go back is that she encountered a living God. And a God who loved her and knew her in a way no one in this universe ever has. So if you are craving a love and an authenticity you have yet to find, can I throw it out there that it's probably because that craving is not meant to be filled by anything on this earth? Yeah. Maybe, just maybe, God's designed us to crave him in a way the world could never satisfy. And that's the God that Hagar met. And that's the God who's here with us today. And it starts by shifting a perspective. She chose to change her thinking so she could go back. There's no way she could submit herself without a changed perspective. So for us this morning, as we, we start to wrap up our time together and process everything the love of God has done, may our minds be renewed and refreshed. May our perspective of him shift. And there's a passage in 2 Corinthians 10.5 that gives us a really practical discipline that will help us get there. And it's this idea of taking every thought captive. Every thought that you think under the name of Jesus. It's like taking everything that happens in your life and putting it up against the filter of who you know God to be. So when that doubt creeps in on Monday morning that you're never gonna amount to more, you take that thought and you put it up against who you know God to be and you say yes or no. That's a no. I'm made for more. I'm wonderfully and beautifully made. God knew me before I was formed in my, womb, in my mother's womb and I know the plans that he has. They're good plans to prosper me and to give me a hope and a future. So no, I don't accept that thought. Could you imagine what your Monday, your Tuesday, your Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, what they would look like if we put every thought against the lens of the God who sees? How would our lives change? How would our workplace change? How would our homes change? How would our own hearts change? And this shift in our mind and loving God with all of our mind comes because we encounter the one who sees. It's because we've come to know his love. 
So can you stand to your feet this morning so I can pray for us?